Hey, all right, let's get going. Good morning. Let's go through the halachas of what's called the Bain Hamatsarim, the uh, in between the straits, in between the, the, the narrow times of Shivasu Batamuz, which we had this past Thursday, the seventh day of Tamuz, and Tishabov, what we refer to as the three weeks. Now, the Gemara in Meseches Tainis, Dav Chav Ches Omer Beis, 28b. Morning, morning, Rebbe. All right, it tells us five tragic events that took place on the 17th of Thomas. Five tragic events. The first tragic event that took place was the first set of luchos were broken due to the sin of the golden calf. That took place on the 17th day of Thomas this past Thursday. Also, when Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the Beis HaMikdash, the seventh day of Tammuz was the first day that the usual carbon tumid, the daily tumid offering, was not brought. That also, the loss of sacrifices also started the seventh day of Tammuz. The third tragic event that took place on the seventh day of Tammuz was that the walls of Yerushalayim were breached, which ultimately led to the destruction of the Bayasheni of the second temple. The fourth tragic event that occurred on the seventh day of Thomas was the public burning of Sifrei Torah before the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. They took out the Sifrei Torah and burnt them. And the fifth tragic event of the seventeenth day of Thomas, this past Thursday, was that they erected a golden calf. The Romans erected a golden calf inside the Beis Hamikdash. That was the seventh day of Thomas. The Gemara goes on to list five tragedies that occurred three weeks later on Tishbev. We're just creating the boundaries around these three weeks, okay? So we know, morning, morning, we know what, uh, we know what took place now, the, the five primary tragic events of the Shiva Subhutamas. There are five primary tragedies that occurred on Tishbev. Number one, the spies came back from uh, touring the land of Israel and reported Lashon Hara about Eretz Yisrael and we accepted it. That's tragedy number one. Tragedy number two is the first Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Tragedy number three is the second Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Tragedy number four is that 52 years after the second temple was destroyed, Bar Kochva led a revolt against the Romans of failed revolt, and tens of thousands of Jews were killed in this revolt. And the fifth primary tragedy of Tishabov is that the Roman officer Tornus Rufus, the Gemara says, plowed over Yerushalayim so that there shouldn't even be a semblance of any greatness that was there. And what we refer to between these first five tragedies of Shiva Batamas and the second five primary tragedies of Tishabov which all tragic events in the Jewish people go back to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. This is known as Bein HaMitzarim, in between the straits, what we refer to as these three weeks. And there's different levels of mourning that we observe during this time period as we move along. So as we're going to learn, we're going to start with the laws of that we have currently during the three weeks. When we hit Rosh Chodesh Av, the laws intensify. And as we hit the week of Tishabov, it gets even stronger. Now, interestingly, it's reverse mourning. 
When a person loses a loved one, first they sit Shiva. It's the most intense. And then you enter Shloshim. Some restrictions are lifted. And then you have the year. By the Beis HaMikdash, it's the opposite. We start with the three weeks. And then it intensifies when we hit the nine days. And then it gets even stronger when we hit, when we hit Shavuah Shechalbay, the, the week uh, that, that's actually there. And there's many different beautiful uh, things to pull out of this to, to extrapolate from what it is Lamaisa, every Tishubav that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash it's a new destruction you know when a person loses a loved one the loved one actually goes further and further underneath the wings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the, the, the mourning lessons because very often the truth is we're mourning for ourselves we're not mourning for the individual the individual's fine they're living in the Ilamamas, they're Beseder. You know, they're okay. It's for it's for us. When it comes to the loss of the Beis Hamikdash, it's a constant renewal and it intensifies as we get closer to Tishabov. Every year that we don't have a Beis Hamikdash, the closer we get to Tishabov, it, it intensifies until like by Tishabov there's the Dobe Samikdash, there was like a new Khorban. There was a new there was a, a, a new destruction. Now, food for thought, we don't have time to get into this, but I think it's a beautiful concept, is why we don't have something after Tishabov too, similar to mourning. Like maybe we should have Tishabov and then allow the pain to go away, kind of like a Shiva, a Shleishim. And afterwards, we should also have, isn't that interesting? Right? We should, it should, it should head away. Like after Tishabov, then we should, that should be like, let's say, the burial, the loss of the Beis HaMikdash. And then we should have seven days where mourning continues. And then 30 days. Right? It's just interesting. It works the other way. Food for thought. There's a lot to speak about about that, but let's get into the uh, actual halachas. Okay, so we're going to start with the laws of the start with the laws of the three weeks. Let's begin with one of the um, uh, with the the three primary areas of halachas. Let's start with that. There's three. We're currently. In a stage of three areas of Allah you need to be careful about. Number one is the prohibition of cutting one's hair. Okay? We don't cut our hair during the three weeks. We don't cut our hair during the three weeks. Okay? Haircuts, shaving. Another, uh, another minug, another custom that we have, nayagin, another uh, minug that we have is not to dance or listen to music. Haircuts, listening, uh, listening to music. And the third restriction is, we'll mention a quasi-fourth if for some people. The third restriction is not making a shehechiyanu during the three weeks. And we'll get into the parameters around making a shehechiyanu bracha. And then there's a fourth restriction, we'll call it. A fourth restriction, which doesn't apply to everybody, but at times, and that is, the, the, we don't get married during the three weeks. That's, that's for us Ashkenazim. Sfardim, do get married during the three weeks up until the nine days. Up until the final nine days. Rashkhidish Av Tishabov, Svardim are permitted to get married, and we'll see how that affects us Ashkenazim in the morning. Yeah? We'll see how it affects us uh, us Ashkenazim over there. Okay, so it's three halachas for everybody the haircut shaving, music dancing, Shahyanu, and then the fourth one is the is the uh, marriage. Okay. Let us first focus on the music, singing, and dancing. So, 
one is not allowed um, to listen to music and, and get involved in dancing besides for Shabbos. Shabbos, if a shul has a, has a general, thank you. Shabbos, if a shul has a general custom to, um, to uh, dance, some shuls, they have custom dance on Friday night. If it's usual, we're sometimes, we're sometimes. If it's usual, then refraining from dancing could actually be viewed as Avelus Befarhesi, now that it publicly mourn on Shabbos. The shuls where they dance on Friday nights or during davening or sing during tefillahs, that's what you should continue to do on Shabbos. But outside of, uh, outside of uh, uh, a usual Shabbos situation, music, dancing are, uh, are all forbidden. For who din, dishmias tazmeris. Huh? I was singing before class. Yeah. We're gonna see. We're gonna see whether I transgressed. Yeah. Huh? Singing in the shower. All right. I, I walked over to one of the guests. One second. I walked over to one of the guests in show, and I asked him if he's a chazan. I want to know if you want to lead the davening. He said, "In the shower. In the shower, he's a chazan." Yeah. And show no. In the shower, yeah. That was his. That was his answer. Okay. Now. So the prohibition of listening to music applies to all types of instruments, whether it's literal instruments, whether it's electronic instruments, whether it's uh, um, um, through through tapes, and it it applies to all types of music, even if you think that certain types of music is not music. It's a very common refrain that I I hear from people, "Eh, it's not music. It's music to some people, and therefore it's usher, right? It's considered music to, to some people. We'll get to exceptions. We'll get to exceptions, and therefore it's going to be usher. Now you could say you could have hip hop music, you could have pop music, you could have rock music, you could have ready chazanus music. Ah, any type of music is going to be usher during uh, during the the three weeks. Now, what about singing? So, and we're going to we're going to get into the exceptions of all this. Singing during the three weeks is permitted when you're alone and a person's singing by themselves, but to go and create a whole kumzitz get-together, even if there's not going to be instruments, we say, uh, you know, tonight, today's Sunday, people have an off day, you know, today's Sunday, let's make a big kumzitz. Let's invite 20 people, 40 people, and we'll sit around and we'll fabrang and we'll sing. During the three weeks, um, during the three weeks, one should not do that. Shazema Eir Simcha, because it awakens... Uh, simcha uh, in a person. So a person wants to say, you know, what, what if it's music that is not going to arouse any sort of dancing? What if it's slow music? Even then, when a lot of people are coming together as a kehilla, as a group to sing, there's simcha naturally involved in that. Now, it seems that nowadays, it seems that nowadays, to it's common, whether it's in camps, whether it's in shul, that people will make a little kumzitz with a few people to be ma'irer, to awaken the sadness of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? Like sometimes, uh, you know, I've seen in pretty much all the camps that I've been in. After Eicha at night, sometimes they'll have, with the lights dimmed, they'll have some of the, some of the people uh, sitting around and they'll sing songs about Yerushalayim and they'll have somebody share something in between. So if the setting is a setting where you're putting yourself into a mode of, 
of the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, which is supposed to be the focus, it seems, again, it seems that the, that Yidin are makel, they're lenient on those types of things nowadays. But the way that is brought down in Shulchan Aruch is that there really shouldn't be group gatherings. So if, even if you're going to have a place like that, even if you have something like that take place inside of a shul or a camp, it should be done in a smaller fashion. It shouldn't be some official, let's have a uh, hundred people get together and, and, um, and singing together. But certainly for a person to sing alone, or you're walking, or you're in shul, and you're learning, and uh, you know, uh, for a few, uh, somebody and somebody else to, to get about, those types of things are permitted. Uh, th- those types of things are allowed. Yeah. Okay, so hold up, hold up, we'll get them. Okay, we'll get them. Um, so, let's say now, let's say now. So, Rav, Sh- Rav Shmuel Alevi Vosner, Zechert Tzad Vekotosh held that a cappella is going to be usher because it's not allowed, because just the, even a tape recorder, a CD player, a radio is itself an instrument. It, that, that itself is an instrument. And especially nowadays where the level of a cappella gets, there, it, people, Kanaina Hara, are very talented. It gets to a point where you don't even, uh, you, you can't even uh, notice the difference. So Rav Osner says, it's mamish music. Rav Chaim Kanievsky, though, says, it's not forbidden. That's not forbidden. He says that a person shouldn't. It seems that the, the Paiskim, the Halakha authorities, frown upon it. It is accepted though. It seems like out there people do do it, but the approach to it is frowned upon and I, th- I think soon we'll articulate how we should know how to act by ourselves, how to handle it ourselves. Once we, once we learn through the exceptions, I think we'll better understand the parameters of, of uh, a cappella. Okay. When there's a Sheva Brachas during the three weeks, it is permitted to sing at the Sheva Brachas, but one doesn't dance. Now, we mentioned before, Sfardim are allowed to make weddings during the three weeks up until the nine days. So the halacha is that an Ashkenazi person is permitted to join in a marriage of a Sfardi person who's permitted to, uh, who's permitted to uh, make, uh, make this wedding until Rish Chedesh Av, even if there's going to be music, but Reb Shmuel Kamenevsky says, Kamenevsky says, morning, morning. Reb Shmuel Kamenevsky says that one should not join in the actual dancing, but uh, to be there for the meal and to be there as part of the music, that um, that's going to be okay. Now, what about what about um, if I earn a livelihood off of music? So we said we refrain from music during three weeks. Okay. So what about if I earn a livelihood off of music? So if it's for parnosa. It's permitted, and we're, now we're starting to get in the exceptions. Um, and it's permitted, let's say an Ashkenazi person is playing at a Sephardic wedding. No problem whatsoever. Also, to teach music during the three weeks is permitted as well. And this is true even during the nine days. To learn music, you're permitted to do that. You're permitted to learn music during the three weeks. Another exception. If let's say you're with children, and children very often need music in order to learn, develop, be in a proper ambiance, be in a proper environment, it's permitted to use music over there, uh, over there as well. What happens if I'm listening to music because it's going to help, it's going to keep me awake while I'm driving? 
What if I need it because I'm at work and when I listen to music in the background while I work, I'm more productive and it helps me keep a clear mind. So the halacha is, Misha mesama lakol nagina. If somebody's listening to music because it helps me in my work, I'm not doing it. I'm not just turning it on for pleasure and benefit. I'm doing it for functionality. You're permitted to listen to music during the during the three weeks. Again, you're not allowed to listen to music for pleasure. If I'm doing it for work, or I'm doing it because it's keeping me awake while I drive the car, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be okay. And this, by the way, holds true with working out as well. If somebody's working out for therapy, not for... If somebody's not... We're not dealing with somebody, you know, somebody who's just trying to keep their physique uh, perfectly toned. And, uh, you know, it'll get their 45-minute workout. And if I don't have music, I can only do it for 30 minutes. You know, then a person should refrain from music. But if a person needs to work out for their health, it's a mitzvah to take care of your health. And uh, usually I need a, a beat in my ear to keep my rhythm and to keep me exercising appropriately and properly. So again, it's the same thing. It's a functionality thing. And it would be permitted to listen to music under those circumstances. Now, this is where I want to bring a cappella back in. Let me bring a cappella back in. Perhaps, and I don't know, I'm not a posik on the level of Rav Vosner, Chaim Kanievsky, and some of the other poskim that we, uh, authorities that we quoted earlier. If a per, the, the, the level acapella that we have nowadays, it could be, maybe it's made for those who are in a situation where it's totally allowed anyway. Right? I need it while I drive, I need it while I work out, I need it for me to have a clear mind. And maybe you're going to say, to have actual instruments that I listen to, acapella is better than that. I could hear, I could certainly say, you know, there's, there's more uh, room. Once you're to listen to music, maybe that's why they make the acapella CDs to, make it a, to, to minimize the type of music. Maybe yeah, maybe no. I, I, I don't know. But certainly the real good acapella, when you speak to the Paiskim, the, 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 the names that we quote, they, outside of the realm of, of, uh, of uh, children and things like that, they're, they're very hands-off. It's frowned upon, the, the level of acapella that we have nowadays. Again, because they say it's the same as an instrument. The recording is an instrument. That's basically, um, that's basically what it is. In my home, my kids, are, are, you know, you, we have uh, Baruch Hashem. We have younger children. And the younger kids function off of music. They're used to having music play in my house. I allow acapella music in my house during the three weeks. I feel the kids need it. They, you know, you, you have to make sure that they understand it's the three weeks as well. It's a balance. But for the younger ones the, to have a cappella, I, I, I personally do allow it. Uh, you know, it's not like, oh, turn it off, it's the three weeks. We, do, we have it. So regular music, it's allowed too for kids, we said. But so the way I teach them that three weeks are different is through this. Now I can hear other people saying, oh, it's a mistake because you're teaching them. I can say, cappella is beautiful. All right, fine. You got you, you to use your brain. You can outsmart anything. You can outsmart anything. So the point is to do your best of it. Yeah. What about Erev Shabbos? What about Erev Shabbos? To bring Shabbos can you, some people feel that that's part of, I'm just saying, I hear some people like they like listening to Shabbos music in a yeah. way of bringing Shabbos. One, one shouldn't unless they need it in order for Shabbos to come in. You know, if you're working and if you're cooking or whatever and you need it to fulfill that mitzvah, I could hear it. But otherwise, that's part of the things the three weeks. You don't, uh, you know, one should, uh, one should refrain uh, during that time. So okay. practicing is okay. I'm sorry? Practicing, training. As long as it's not for pleasure. But training and doing it for a livelihood... And staying on top of your game for that would be permitted to teach music and to learn music is allowed during the three weeks. Now, 
another situation that comes up is sometimes you'll have story tapes that are accompanied that are accompanied with music, or you'll have a show. You'll have a show. You'll have a, you're watching a you're watching a movie. You're watching a video, and built into the storyline at times is music. So do you need to turn the music off? So if it's a story tape, there's like a it's it's a show that's accompanied by music. That's mutter. That's allowed because the music is secondary to the story. It's not music itself. It's not you're not there to listen to music. And this the same thing holds true. It's not like a Jew has to not enter a doctor's office or schnooks because uh, because there's music playing. Walk in, yeah, anti semites. They're playing music during the three weeks. Now Jews can't shop here. You know. Take it easy, dude, right? Why is it not a problem? Because I'm not there to listen to music. I'm not there to listen to music, you know? It's there, as long as my intent is not to listen, right? I can hear the yeshiva thing to do is, right, you purposely go to schnooks to listen to music. Because you take the camp on a trip to schnooks. We're going to get cookies. We're going to stand there for a half hour. That's you, okay? All right. Very good. Very good. Um, so as long as not there. Now, Rav uh, um, Shmuel brings down something that's come up more recently is I don't have this uh, on my phone. Um, I don't have the ability. I have, I have a, um, a podcast uh, that I can listen to, but I can't download it. But some people have uh, music that they can actually download onto their phone and it becomes a ringtone. You could like make like a, sometimes in the middle of davening, you, all of a sudden you hear like some chassidish music come on, you know. <laughs> right? So, says of Shul Kamenetsky, if a person has, a, has a music as their ringtone, you don't need to change your ringtone during the three weeks. You don't have to like take off the music, you know, because somebody, uh, somebody might uh, call you. Apparently he was asked this question a number of times. Maybe I should put, you know, uh, ch- change my ringtone to something else. He says if that's your usual ringtone, if that's the if you know if, if that's what it is, then you're not putting again, you're not putting on music for pleasure. It's not what you're doing. It's somebody else. It's letting you know there's a phone call. As long as you're normal about it in your head, and you're not like, ah, come on, Dad, I want to hear this music. Can somebody call me. You know, you have one of your friends call you the whole day so you can get your music on. But in regular situations, somebody's calling you. There's no uh, there's no issue. Okay, another thing that could come up is if you have. Let's say you're in a working environment with, with people who aren't Jewish and don't have these halachasi. Let's say I have non-Jewish workers inside my house or I'm in business in my office and I'm in construction. And very often, very often when people are um, on construction sites, they come with their... their uh, yeah, by us it was called the boombox. Now, I don't know, there's probably better words for it. Um, but uh, when you have these things, record player. Yeah? When you have these things, ain't sarech lemnayam you don't need to cause other people who are listening to music to stop because you're in the vicinity. Again, just all examples, but the, the reason why we're giving these number of examples is to create the structure of what it is. Why is this music here? Is this music here for pleasure and to bring me joy and gladness and awakening? No, mutter. If it's the music, if I'm putting the music on for the purpose of myself to bring me joy, gladness, so on and so forth, then it's going to be uh, then it's going to be forbidden. Okay. That's the uh, general overview of the custom that we have to refrain from music, singing, and dancing. All right, let's get into the next, uh, the next category, which is making the bracha of shehachianu and purchasing new items during the three weeks. So the custom is that 
what we refrain from making a Shechianu blessing during the three weeks. The blessing of Shechianu, the Kiman of Yenon Azman, is I thank you, Hashem, for bringing me to this time. Right? A newness this time. It's an inappropriate blessing for this Bain Hamitzarim, like we explained in the beginning. Between the five tragedies of Shiva Shabbatamas that we spoke about, the five tragic events of Tishba that we spoke about, in between, to say thank you Hashem for bringing me to this era, to, be, to this moment, is, is not right. And therefore, anything that's going to bring me to a blessing of Shechianu is, um, is forbidden. Something that's going to bring me to a blessing of Hatova Hametiv, yet that Hashem does good and is constantly bestowing good, is allowed. Now in order to understand this, we have to know when, what are the laws of Shechianu and what are the laws of Hatova Hametiv. Okay, so we'll start out by giving one detail. One detail difference in Shechianu and Hatova Hametiv is Shechianu is very personal. Hatova Hametiv is general. Okay, you make a, when something's impacting multiple people, you make Hatova Hametiv. Somebody is impacting one person, then you make a Shechianu. Okay, that's a now when you make those blessings, we'll we'll get into now. Shabbos, you're allowed to make a Shechianu even during the three weeks. Okay? So, um, so Shabbos, there's no, uh, there's no restrictions of making the Shechianu. Now, this is where the purchasing of clothing uh, comes into play. Why? Because there are those who have a custom to make a Shechianu when purchasing clothing that are chashuv and important to them. So if I buy a t-shirt during the three weeks, now again, we're not dealing with the nine days. Let's clarify that. The last nine days, right now we're in the laws of the three weeks, not in the laws of nine days. In the laws of three weeks, if when I buy a t-shirt, I buy a t-shirt. If I, when I buy shoes, I buy shoes. I buy a dress, I buy a pant. This is standard things that I need for my upkeep. You don't make a shechanu on those clothes. Okay? If a person gets a chashava expensive thing that's very special to me. This was a purchase that is special. We would make a Shechion. Okay? As I've, I've shared in, a number of times in, in Shir, in class. So when, when I was a younger kid, I always had one suit. It was an expensive suit. At least for our standards, it was expensive. My suit was cost more money than a lot of my friends, I'm assuming. I didn't go shopping with them. But the way that my father personally worked is he didn't run around looking for prices. He spent money to save time so that he could be productive in life. And there was a suit store, a boutique suit store on the corner of our street, on the corner of Mount Wilson Lane, called Gage Menswear. And they, there was also other stores you can go to. You could buy a suit for $80, $100. This store, I remember from my bar mitzvah, was... You know, already $300 for a suit and whatever. And my father took me to the corner. I had a suit in four minutes. And he bought me the suit. And Shalom Al Yisrael. And that was, that was four minutes. Like, that was it. They looked at me. They tailored me. And my suit, we picked it up uh, two days later. And, and that's how it worked. Now, I was always taught when I buy a new suit, maybe it's because he spent money on it. Maybe because my parents spent money on it. I always made a Shechian when I put on a new suit. Always. I, I remember Erev Shabbos, whenever I would, the first time I wore a suit, I would, uh, I would take my Erev Shabbos shower, I would get dressed, 
and I would come out to the living room, and my parents would be there, and I'd make a shachyonu out loud, and they would say, Amen, it was like a to-do. It was, it was, you know, you got a new suit. It's a special thing. But I only, I had one suit. My friends had a few suits that were all less expensive. And I had one suit, and it lasted me till I outgrew it. And then, uh, you know, well, either they expanded it, or, uh, or uh, it was time to get a new one. But I always, when you buy something that was, so I'm just exp- explaining the story, because that setting made the suit special. So I made a shachyonu. If you buy a dress that's very, that, that, that you're, you, you're very happy with. You feel good in it. The covet Shabbos, the honor of Shabbos, the honor of Yom Tov. In that type of dress, you make a shechianu. So that, that type of dress, one should not put on during the three weeks. Don't put it on during the three weeks. Okay? Because we don't make shechianu. To buy regular clothing, they don't make a shechianu on during the three weeks, is allowed. There's no restriction on regular clothing uh, uh, during the three weeks. Okay. Now, another thing to know about this is, I just mentioned, you don't put it on. You could buy it. You don't make a shechanu when you buy the dress. When you buy the new suit, you make a shechanu when you put on the new suit. Okay? And therefore, we, we just don't wear these, shech, the, 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 these clothing of shechianu during, uh, during the, uh, the three weeks. An exception to this could be, as we said, Shabbos is an exception. So if I put on my new dress on Shabbos, I could make a shechianu. I'm allowed to do that. There's no, there's no issue. Yeah? Same thing. If it's a shechianu thing, you're not going to put it on during the three weeks. You can make you can make a shechianu on a on a, on a, of a gift. Okay. Um, now, there's other things that a person may make a shechianu on. There's other things a person may make a shechianu on. Um, a car, one might make a shechianu on. Um, I've seen that somebody, and again, I can't vouch for this because I I saw this brought up, but not in one of Chaim Kanievsky's farm. Somebody needed a car, and they asked Chaim Kanievsky. What they should do because a car in Eretz Yisrael is, it's you know it's uh, even here. I mean anywhere, cars are expensive buy and it's exciting to get. Yerucham Kanievsky said, if you buy the car for mitzvahs to give people rides, then you don't make a shechiyonu because a shechiyonu. When do you make shechiyonu? When it's personal. But when I buy a car for Klal Yisrael, you make a toivametiv. So then it's okay. There's no issue. You don't need a you don't need to refrain from that. Okay, you make a teva metiv. That's going to be more of a, a general. It's no longer a, a, a personal thing, which is a good. Uh, it's, it's a good mindset to keep in mind in general, right? That uh, am I buying something for me? Am I buying it for Klal Yisrael? Am I buying it for to, to be able to use for Chesed for others uh, for others as well? Um, uh, if you have a bar mitzvah bo- uh, bar mitzvah boy that uh, is wearing tefillin for the first time during uh, during the three weeks. So very often you'll make a shechianu the first time you perform uh, you perform that mitzvah. If he puts it on for the first time in three weeks, he will not make a shechianu. Uh, um, a couple more ideas, and that is okay. So now, if one wishes to eat a new fruit, what's the what's the eitzah? What's the advice? Save for Shabbos. A new fruit that's seasonal, you can make a shechianu on, save for Shabbos. Um, um, appliances, um, so appliances and things of that sort. If it's needed for functionality, even though it could be an expensive buy, you're not necessarily going to make a shechianu, and if it's needed during the three weeks, is, uh, is going to be permitted, is going to be okay. All right. What about purchasing a new home 
during the three weeks? Should you yeah, to, to, to sign a contract and to purchase a home? So we don't close on a home during the three weeks. But to sign a contract of agreement to purchase is okay. Certainly, if a person needs an apartment because they need a place to live, certainly that's permitted. What we're dealing with here is, what, about, what about, I'm investing in something. Okay? So it's a big buy. It's a big purchase. So to actually own something that has high value, so that you can make a shachiono on that. Again, if you're using it for personal use, I'm not dealing with like a, you know, you're just flipping a house or a business investment, something of that sort. You're just involved in regular business. But it's going to be a second house. I don't need it right now. I don't need it. I'm buying a house somewhere else. I'm buying a, you know, whatever that is. So to sign a contract is going to be okay. Um, but uh, to, to uh, close on it, one should not. To look for a house, to, to be house hunting, is permitted as well. Um, even if I purchase a home... Let's say I bought the home before the three weeks. Should I move in during the three weeks? So I close on it, but I'm going to create my first, uh, my first usage. So he's, Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky says over here, he can hear why some people would be strict about it and say maybe it's best to wait afterwards till you, till you actually move in. But that's by a purchase, not by a rental. By a rental, there's no, uh, it's not yours and, and uh, there's, the, there's no issue. To beautify one's house as well, let's say to paint the house. Again, not necessary for functionality. I want to paint my house. So, he says it's not proper. It's not, a pro, it's not proper to put on a fresh coating of paint onto the house. Because it brings simcha. There, there's an added joy. But as soon as that's done, after the couple days of painting, you look around your house, you're like, Gewalt. yeah, this is good. This is, uh, right? However, let's say you have a classic case where your contractor, your painter, started your house a week before the three weeks, and he told you it's going to take five hours, and he's done. And now it's a week later, and he, you have half a wall that's done. And once it started, you're allowed to finish. because You don't have to put yourself in tire, right? But just don't start if you don't have to. If it's already started, then it's going to, uh, it's, it's going to be... Permitted. Okay, that's a quick overview of the laws of Shekhyanu and purchasing items. Now let's get into... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Lawn care. Lawn care is permitted. We're going to talk about that during the nine days. There are some restrictions on lawn care. During the three weeks, no restrictions on lawn care. You can purchase for someone else in your family, though, if you need something, right? Yeah, but not Yanu. They shouldn't use it if it's Shekhyanu item. There's no restrictions on purchasing. The restriction is... Here's what I want to clarify. The restriction is Shekhyanu. The restriction is not on purchasing. What if, what if you would lose money, though, that say it's on sale? Okay. There's no restriction on purchasing. There's no restriction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about childbirth? People make shachianu on purchasing. Oh, so there are some people make a shachianu when a daughter is born into the family. Um, and the person who has that minug would make a shachianu. You would make shechan if a person does have. There's different customs uh, about that. The first time you see uh, the the daughter born to the family, then then a shechianu uh, would be made because the shechianu is not about the. It, it's more specific to uh, to the birth than it is uh, than it is anything else. All right, let's get into the laws of of haircuts and uh, and shaving. <clears throat> 
So us Ashkenazim, we have a custom not to uh, cut our hair, beginning from, again, beginning from the beginning of three weeks, is past Thursday, Shavasar Batamas. This applies to any body hair, okay? It applies to uh, shaving one's legs, it applies to shaving one's face, it applies to any hair of the body, and this applies to uh, both men and women. Um, as far as children are concerned, if a child, uh, an, an adult should not cut the child's hair, however, if the child's hair is so long that they're uncomfortable, then as long as they've not yet reached the age of chinuch, which is, depending on the halacha, anywhere between, I'm going to give a broad spectrum in Paiskim. Some say chinuch is three, some say chinuch is six, some say chinuch is nine. Okay? What's the age of chinuch? You see the, the different ages amongst the Paiskim. Certainly by age nine, a child's considered to have reached the age where they have full understanding of this. Um, it, it, it very could be they're not even arguing because you can have a diff, very different types of six-year-olds. Uh, and very different, you can have a nine-year-old that's the, that has the development of a six-year-old and the children develop at mamish different, uh, different uh, paces. But uh, if you have a child that has reached the age of chinuch, you shouldn't cut their hair because they're a chinuch, they're taught, you're like an adult. If they've not yet reached the age of chinuch and there's, and there's discomfort, then it's going to be uh, permitted to cut their hair enough to remove the discomfort. Um, okay, this includes uh, not only regular cutting of the hair, but it also includes electrolysis, removing the hair through this uh, system that they have of uh, usual hair removal. Now, there's some exceptions to this. One exception is anybody who has facial hair, if it's getting in the way of eating, let's say the growth on the mustache or underneath the chin is getting long, that when you eat, the food's going to get stuck to the, the hair, it's permitted to cut off the, the, the hair that's around the mouth so that it doesn't get in the way of eating. That's one exception. Another exception is if, and here's, I'm going to use this expression very carefully, if there's a chashash, a suspicion of hefsid, of loss financially. If I suspect financial loss, not that you have to know there's going to be financial loss. If I suspect financial loss during the three weeks, again, not, we're not dealing with the nine days yet, it's permitted to shave. So, you have an attorney. You have somebody showing up to a business. You have somebody who works in an office. And you have a whole business get-together. Now, nowadays, you know, th- th- there seems like people are a lot less concerned, at least in certain industries, about how well-kept you are. Until recently, it was expected that if you had something that you considered important, you showed up in tip-top shape. Now it's kind of like hip to just be overgrown and, you know, and, uh, you know, so it could be depending on the industry, it's going to change. But if a person's concerned of their parnasa, that if I show up to this business meeting and I'm overgrown, you know, my, 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 either my hair's too long or, or I, I don't look well kept uh, if I don't uh, shave my feet or, you know, legs or things of that sort, and I look like somebody who doesn't know how to take care of themselves, then it's permitted to, um, to take a haircut or shave. However, you can only cut what's necessary. So you cut the amount that's necessary. So Rav Shmuel Kanavsky gives an example. He says, Lamashal, 
Im maspik, if it would be enough, let's say, to shave twice a week. It would be enough to shave twice a week. Go three weeks, I'll look like mamish overgrown. But if, what if I shave once a week? So I'll look like I'm just, you know, a little relaxed about it, but not going to. So then you, obligate, you can't shave more than once a week. What about if it's twice a week? So then you shave twice a week. It's not like now I could shave twice a day because I need it for business. You do whatever's necessary. Certainly, he said the best thing is, see, there are some who are lenient on Erev Shabbos. Going into Shabbos, there are some who are lenient to take a haircut and shave the cover Shabbos. He says, let's say you're in an industry, you only need to shave once a week or twice a week. You feel, otherwise you're nervous, you, you might you know, not present yourself properly. So then what you should do, then what you should do is time it that you take haircuts on Erev Shabbos and make your twice a week, Friday and Monday, Friday and Tuesday, or just Friday. Because then Friday there's more wiggle room because there's even opinions that are lenient on, on Erev Shabbos. So one should certainly try to do that if, uh, if necessary. Um, now another exception is going to be if, um, if you have a woman who wants to cut any hair on her body for tzniyas purposes. Tzniyas purposes means, let's say a person, let's say you have a woman who wears a, a head covering and the hair is too long for the head covering to fit properly. You're allowed to cut that hair. Let's say you have uh, somebody who, fe- who feels that if I don't shave various parts of my body, so then it's going to be noticeable. So that's also a lack of tzniyas. Tzniyas is modesty, right? So let's say I know my body. I know that I grow uh, hair in any part of my body fast enough that if I don't cut my hair uh, every week, it's going to be it's going to look noticeably off. Or every two weeks, it's going to look noticeably off. So now, why am I cutting my hair for tzniyas? I don't want it to look strange. I don't want it to look off where it's like noticeable. So then again, that would be that would be permitted as well. There's a dispute, Shmuel Kamenetsky does write in here that a, a, a person who usually tweezes their eyebrows should refrain during the three weeks. However, Shleim Zalman Arbach does allow it. Shleim Zalman Arbach says tweezing one's eyebrows is not the same as taking a haircut and shaving and he does permit um, uh, a woman to, uh, to uh, um, tweeze their eyebrows. Okay. No, nine days we'll get into. We'll get into the nine days, as a show, okay? But uh, until oh, not even the nine days. Let's just talk about that for a second. Until the not, until the week of Tishabov is completely permitted to cut your nails. So Tishabov this week. So even during the nine days. So for example, Rosh Chodesh Av. I think this year is uh, Thursday? Thursday, Wednesday night. Is it Wednesday? Makes sense because Tishabov is on a Thursday. So that means Rosh Chayyim is going to be Wednesday. That's nine days. Tuesday night, Wednesday. It'll be Tuesday night, Wednesday. So um, what it means is that you would, it's mutter to cut your nails for sure until Sunday. Okay, so Tishabov is going to take place Wednesday night, Thursday. The week of Tishabov, it's called Shavuah Shechalbo, the week that Tishabov falls out on, then uh, one should uh, refrain from. Uh, from cutting their nails. Um, now, if it's if you're cutting your nails even during the week of Tishbev, just to bring this up now, if it's for hygiene or for a mitzvah, it's allowed. Okay, it's it's uh, otherwise it, you just cut it before that week. Like uh, you, mo- most people's fingernails don't 
don't grow that fast. Okay, let's now, uh, let's take a time, let's start wrapping up. Let's get a little bit into the halachas of the nine days. All right, just give a quick overview of, of the halachas of the nine days, starting from Rosh Chodesh Av, which is next Tuesday night, Wednesday. Next Tuesday night, Wednesday. Okay. So, once we hit the nine days, there's added restrictions. And the primary added restriction that we have is we refrain from eating meat and drinking wine when it's not Shabbos, during the nine days. There's two reasons brought in halacha for this added, uh, for this added prohibition. Reason number one that's uh, brought down, the Shulchan Aruch says very practically, that meat and wine are the epitome of what a person could use for uh, self-indulgent uh, activities. And it's, it's inappropriate during this time of mourning. Yeah? Like, take a step back. Number two is, um, and, and by the way, especially because meat and wine is what was primarily brought on the Mizbeach. So with the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, the Rebani Shalom, so to speak, his house lost this. So we, we join in to the Tzara, right? We, 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 meat and wine are things that were brought in the, in the Beis HaMikdash. So we don't have the Beis HaMikdash. The Vulna Ga'in, the Gra says, based off of a Gemara in Bava Basra, page 60, says that another reason is that after the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, um, there were Yidin that actually, because of this first reason, completely stopped eating meat and drinking wine. They said if the Beis HaMikdash doesn't have it, it's wrong for us to have it. And they, they, they cut out all meat from their lives completely. And they completely stopped drinking wine. And Rabbi Yeshua saw, and this is such a beautiful and powerful idea in how to run Klai Yisrael. Rabbi Yeshua, one of the greatest leaders in Klai Yisrael of the time, saw that this chumrah, this sensitivity was taking off. When people heard about this idea that they should stop eating meat and drinking wine, it was becoming a trend. Like we have food trends in our society. Yeah? Different trends. Smoothies and whatever. It's like different times, kale, certain salads, right, and things. Yeah. Huh? Sushi. And there's different things like you never heard of before, and all of a sudden it's like the, the it thing. Yeah. So even in a good way, people are sincere about this. And he saw this was taking off. Yidin, more and more, were stopping to eat meat and drink wine. And Rabbi Yeshua saw with his chachma, with his wisdom, that this is going to become something which is not a halacha, and is going to take off in Klai Yisrael and make Yiddishkeit harder on people. And he said it's improper. He said it's an improper trend, even though it's starting from a good place. It's going to end up being a custom that people do, but a lot of people can't hold by. It's not a halacha. And therefore, he's changed the trend and he said, we're going to, it's, it's a good idea, but this idea is going to be limited to nine days a year. It's a good avayda, but it's not an avayda, it's, you're not allowed, you hear this? Like you're not allowed to take this on. Like for us nowadays, it would be wrong for me to tell you, this is what I do. The Beis HaMikdash doesn't have meat and wine, and you know what? The Temple House doesn't have meat and wine. It would be wrong, it would be wrong for me to do that. Because that becomes, uh, you know. So, so says the Vodagayin, based upon this Gemara Mava Basra, that's how it got, uh, that's how the custom started, that it got limited to, uh, to nine days. We refrain from meat and wine. And this prohibition applies um, to uh, children as well. 
as long as they have strong bodies. Now, some children are very picky. So let's say you have a five-year-old kid, a six-year-old kid that only eats chicken. Let's say that's, that's, that's all they eat. It's mutter. You could feed them chicken. No problem. They could eat chicken during the nine days. There's no problem. Any frail child, even a person who's sick, an adult, person who's sick, but their health will benefit from eating meat no matter what age is permitted to do so. Now, this applies, this prohibition uh, restriction, this custom applies to meat, chicken, as well as anything cooked in it. So let's say I, I cook a chicken soup on Friday night, uh, next sh- uh, uh, like you know, you know, two weeks Shabbos. I cook a chicken soup on Friday night, and I have leftovers. I want to eat my leftovers on Sunday night, but we don't eat meat during the nine days. It's now the nine days. So I'll say, you know what, I'll eat my chicken soup. I won't eat the chicken that's in the soup. Any soup that's cooked with the chicken, like if that's now fleshigs, like we say, right? It's now fleshigs. And also, we, uh, we don't eat. Now, this does not apply to kalim. It's permitted to use fleshig kalim. Uh, it's just talking about the, the meat uh, or chicken itself. The, pro, the custom of not drinking wine during the nine days also applies to grape juice. Grape juice is in the family of wine, and therefore the same way we don't drink wine during the nine days, we don't, uh, we don't have uh, grape juice either. And um, the Mishnah Brura writes, a very interesting Allah, and tough kof nun alif, just important to know for ourselves, of any of us in this, in, in, these, in this situation, he says a person who cannot eat any dairy. So that makes this custom very, very difficult. Because you need protein, you need nutrition in one's body, and if I can't eat meat, and I'm allergic to dairy, or I'm, I'm, I'm having an issue with, uh, with dairy. So he says, you should, each one of us should understand their own unique situation, ask a Shaila about it, but you should know there are leniencies during the first six days of Av. Until the sixth day of Av, there are leniencies if a person has an issue with dairy and you need nutrition from meat or chicken in one's body, there's gonna be leniencies and one, one should uh, ask, uh, ask a Shaila, there's a good chance that there's a leniency over here, and maybe okay. Right. It could be. There's other ways to 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 get it. Okay, but you know, everybody with their own issues to fee their situation. Each person according uh, according to their uh, according to their situation. Okay, that's a that, that's the added restriction of of the nine days. Um, you know, there's other things like we said during the nine days. We mentioned before, uh, purchasing clothing one shouldn't do during the nine days unless it's going to cause a loss. Let's say you have a great sale during the nine days. It's not going to be available after you're allowed to buy clothing. A person is allowed to go window shopping during the nine days. That's not called shopping. That's called just you know spending time. Uh, some people just enjoy that. So as long as you're not buying something, yeah, it, it's permitted. But to, to purchase uh, certain new kalim, new items and new clothing during the nine days... Is um, is allowed? Uh, no, uh, per, is not allowed. Purchasing clothing and certain kalim is is not allowed. Um, okay, there's there's always more, but we're hitting the fifty minute mark, so I want to hold it here. I want to just wrap up. Me, uh, yeah. What about swimming for exercise? During the three weeks, no problem. <laughs> yeah. If you need it, if you need that type of exercise, it's going to be okay. We also, during the nine days, I didn't mention this, it's important halacha, we refrain from showering in a comfortable way and, uh, and swimming. Linda's asking what happens if uh, you, need it, you need it for exercise, things like that. It will be permitted if you mamish need it for your health. If you mamish, but that has to be the avayda. If there's other ways to get the same thing accomplished by running on a treadmill or playing whatever, but if a person needs aqua, you know, the, their bones, you need it for your health. 
It's going to be okay. There, there's so much more. Lawns and things like that. Lawn upkeep is going to be allowed during the nine days. To beautify your lawn is not allowed during the nine days. Um, to, to add things to it. What about cutting my grass? So it depends. If the grass is so long that I can't, that it, it's, it's an eyesore, or it's long that I can't make use of my lawn, you're allowed to cut your grass uh, during the nine days. If it's not that long and I just like it more clean, then you're not allowed to cut your grass. Uh, during the nine days, we don't plant new flowers during the nine days, but you're allowed to water your flowers. That they, you're allowed to preserve things, but we don't create uh, new. You know, we, we don't create uh, new uh, new plants during the the nine days uh, during the nine days either. Um, I came, uh, my Reish Chabura from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael Stillerman, uh, a couple years ago, he sent out just a uh, a few questions that they asked Rabbi Yisrael Berkowitz. A lot of this is. Not Negea to us. That doesn't connect to us so much, but I just like to share it um, because it's it's good. It's good halacha. It's good Torah, and it also when you hear and you learn about more halachas, it also helps us understand the parameters for ourselves. So even if I'm not in this week, we'll talk about pregnancy and nursing women. But the, when you uh, a fasting on Tisha B'av, when you when you hear more halachas, it allows us to gauge the parameters that uh, of. Fasting on, on Tisha B'Av itself. So Abizar Berkowitz is, uh, if not the primary posek for the American community in Eretz Yisrael, certainly one of the biggest. And there were members of my Chabura, where I, where I got smicha in Eretz Yisrael, my Rish Chabura was Stillman, and they were sitting with Abizar Berkowitz. They asked him a few questions about the halachas of Tisha B'Av, and uh, my Rish Chabura uh, sent this out to us. So I'd just like to, to share it with everybody. Um, uh, the first question was, in general, does a pregnant woman fast on Tisha B'av, um, if she'll be in her ninth month? And what if she has uh, gestational diabetes? So, so the ninth month is less of an issue because if a woman gives birth during the ninth month, big deal. Baby's fine. There's not, if any time a woman gives birth in the ninth month, so she fasts, what's going to happen? I might put her into labor, big deal. Right, so there's very very often we say a woman should fast during the nine days during Tisha B'av, uh, on, on Tisha B'av is in the ninth month. So Yisuk Brook was answered that she should fast if there there isn't really any a danger at worst she'll go into labor. However, as soon as she sees signs of dehydration or if she believes she's going into labor, so now she's in a situation of chola. Now she's in a situation of being a sick individual, and she should eat. If she has any sort of diabetes, she should not be fasting. Even from the start You don't wait for anything You should not fast So they asked them Okay one second Are you telling me That a pregnant woman In general Should fast on Tisha B'Av Right And he said yes But any woman who's pregnant Who sees signs of dehydration Or labor Should break her fast immediately Okay Next question Can Rebbe please give Clear guidelines Regarding a pregnant woman A nursing woman Or somebody Who's simply not Feeling well on Tisha B'Av So I'm a chola I'm sick but I have no danger. I have a th- I'm just not functioning, right? Sometimes you start fasting, and I'm not fun. I've either I feel dehydrated. It's the summer; it's very hot, or I have a terrible headache. I'm a chola. I'm sick, but there's no danger to me. Please, can Rebbe please give the clear guidelines? So Bishop Berkowitz said, for anyone that sees any signs of dehydration, which is severe migraines, nausea, dizziness, lightheadedness, seeing spots in vision, should break their fast immediately. Additionally, a pregnant woman should fast until she sees any sort of signs of labor. A nursing woman, if she believes there's a, there's a real fear that she will lose her milk and it won't come back 
and her child is not going to have enough food, she'll break her fast. And when it comes to a person who's ill, but not in, in any danger, so then um, they have to break their fast if they're in a situation of anything that can lead to a sakana. People don't realize that certain internal effect infections, like kidney, liver, lung, needs water. Otherwise, it leads to sakana, at least the danger. One should do their research about what they're feeling and know that even if there's no danger now, but if what you're feeling is something that could lead to an issue, you're obligated to break your fast on, on Tisha B'Av. Um, Next question. There's two more questions. Next question. Can one show Holocaust documentaries on Tisha B'Av that contain music? Obviously, the music is background music in keeping with the tone of the videos. What about these new Lushan Hara films that they put out? Um, if not on Tisha B'Av, the nine days, is it better to watch it then? So, Bizuk Berkowitz answered, besides for being background music, which, as we learned before, is per- mutter, not a problem. Here, the music is said purposefully said, and then it's consistent with the tone of Tisha B'av, so there's no problem of watching these on, uh, on Tisha B'av. Um, background music is also, mutter is also allowed, although generally we try to stay away from it. When it's part of a film, there's a, there's a purpose for this and it's fine. And um, um, if it's a type of film that's there for entertainment though, Better to, for one to watch it before the nine days. And I don't teach you, but Tishba is not a day to be entertained. Okay? It's a day of growth. It's a day of development. And the last question is, may one use mouthwash on Tishabov? And Yom Kippur. As long as you know you will not come to swallowing mouthwash. That was the question. May one use mouthwash on Tishabov Yom Kippur? And Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz answered, and we're, we have to look at his words. He says, it is mutter al pidim. It, according to Allah, you may use mouthwash, but I would be strict on Yom Kippur. I'd be machmir on Yom Kippur. So what he's saying is, it's permitted on Tisha B'av. I don't. That's his words. I don't know if he's saying, maybe better not to. I don't know. But he says, Tisha B'av, it's mutter al-pidin. It's, you're allowed to use mouthwash on Tisha B'av. I think many, for us Americans, I could just speak for myself. When you wake up in the morning and you don't have mouthwash, you're like, you're like a chayla, Right? Like, I, I don't know, I can't function. Like, you know, you know it's like you, you have this, like, in your, like, like, you want to just go back to sleep. Like, you need, you need like, a, something. You need a, a mouthwash over here, right? So, um, he says, on Tisha B'av, it, it's okay. But he said on, on Yom Kippur, he wouldn't. He'll be more machmir uh, on Yom Kippur. Okay, there's a lot, more to, a lot more to do, but now we're at the almost hour mark. We'll hold it here. Any questions? Go ahead. Yeah, and therefore? So we can't have any, I mean, if you should swallow some or something. Well, it's not wine. It's not. I know, but yeah. I'm just saying, if you really... Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I got gotcha. you. I'm not going to drink the Listerine. Well, the service announcement, we have caffeine pills Are those the slow release? And caffeine, the slow release, fasting pills. Very nice. Then you're a pharmacy. Beautiful. Yeah, pushing drugs. Full service. Full service. One year we advertised when you were told that. 